Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to I'd Sooner Forget This, a podcast where guests share with me things from their past that I've forced them to drag up. Um, for example, when I was 15, I wrote a poem called Heroin, uh, despite the fact that I've never taken drugs, uh, that went dancing rabbits and marshmallow trees. Why take heroin? Why take heroin? Evil monsters are going to kill me. Heroin, ecstasy, lithium, herbal tea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Daryl Smith, and with me today is juggler and comedian John Udry. Hello. How is your current like feeling towards what we're going to look at? <laughs> um, I'm a little anxious. I mean, you know, there's a reason a lot of people haven't seen this stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's because it's pretty embarrassing. Um, but I think I've got quite a lot, uh, quite a lot of stuff that I don't usually like talking about. <laughs> um, and that's why i'm here <laughs> Good. So. um so um what is it that we're going to look at today so i've got a video from when i was 12 years old it wasn't one of my first show- one of my first shows was, was around 10 but i couldn't find the footage uh, so this is 12 years old so i was a little bit more experienced um got two years experience under my belt and it's a it's a performance from when i was part of the junior cornish magical society <laughs> I've got so many questions I already want to ask, oh, uh, yeah. but I think we need to just watch some of this okay. um, first. Okay. We got John Goodrey. Don't really know who this guy is. He's still age 12. <laughs> okay. Still age 12, and this time he's going to show us how to jump. Welcome, John. <laughs> Here he is. Oops, not going to start. The audio of this track I recorded from a VHS of a juggling convention. So it's got applause points and stuff in it, which is the audience from the video. (laughs) (laughs) So when you hear people clapping, it's not the people there. (laughs) It's it's absolutely disgusting. (laughs) I don't know, you're quite the showman. Thanks, man. It really annoys me that I'm still wearing a watch on stage. And I've got a stupid bow tie. I mean, there's a lot that annoys me about this. Describe what you're wearing. I've got my school trousers on, which to this day, any black trousers are still called school trousers, <laughs> despite the fact I haven't been in school for over 10 years. Um, got school trousers on, got some Clark's, uh, Clark's shoes on. Doing a lot of drop in there. I've got my brother's <laughs> orange shirt. Um, and I've got a sparkly black waistcoat. And a black bow tie. I don't know where this black waistcoat came from. I still don't really know. Um, 
It's quite the spectacle. It's it's revolting. <laughs> and the thing is, I don't know where it is now. I, someone must have helpfully thrown it away from me because I don't know where what happened to it. <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty impressive for a twelve-year-old. Thanks, mate. It's just revolting, isn't it? It's just it <laughs> I makes think me... it's great. There we go. There it is. A little twelve-year-old <laughs> me. Wow. Thanks. Wow, indeed. Um, that makes me feel sick. I'm going to look at that. See, it's, it's interesting because I don't know anything like about juggling. Like I don't like you're obviously you're watching it and seeing a lot of mm. the techniques that you're either doing well or not doing well at all. Mm. Um, but what what is it that's making you most uncomfortable about Actually, it? The, the actual juggling of the routine. I mean, I'm pretty happy with that. Really, you know, I was 12. I wasn't meant. I wasn't meant to be good. It's the little nods and like nodding and almost winking at the audience and trying to be a bit too Vegasy. It was out of date even then. <laughs> and this was, I don't know how many years ago, 12, 16 years ago. And it was out of date then. Were you trying to replicate someone else? Well, yeah, because at this time, I was, the only juggling I really saw was um, from VHSs of juggling conventions from the 1980s. So that's my that was my only reference. So I <laughs> so this was, must have been around the year two thousand, uh, maybe nineteen ninety nine, um, and the only juggling I've ever seen was mid to late eighties. So I was just kind of replicating that, and uh, yeah, it's gross. It's almost <laughs> grotesque. It's revolting. And yeah, I mean the orange shirt again. That's just my brother's, and I think it was a shirt that he that was white that he dyed orange to go with some kind of costume, a fancy dress party. And I saw that and thought, oh, yeah, that'd be perfect. That's, that's what I need. <laughs> so is your brother a performer as well? No, no, not at all. They do a little bit, like they can juggle a little bit, but they don't perform at all. The idea of performing makes them uh, terrified. It's kind of not, not part of the family. I'm the only one in the family who kind of enjoys going on stage, really. So what, you started juggling at 10 years old? I started when I was six. Really? I started um, the Diablo, which is like, uh, for those of you that don't know, like you've got two sticks and a bit of string going between. And you have this kind of big cotton reel thing that you throw around on it. And I did that from when I was six, just because my brother and my next door neighbors did it. There's also a guy on the beach called the Great Budget. <laughs> um, and he used to do shows like in, <laughs> throughout the summer where he would do juggling magic in Diablo. And uh, I used to watch him all the time. So I just kind of... He was a massive inspiration to me. I just picked up on anything that he did. So I'd like, learned loads of Diablo from him. And uh, I started getting into magic as well, like every cool kid does. And uh, yeah, I started juggling around the age of 10. And whenever I went to school, I'd always have juggling balls in my bag uh, or, or juggling clubs or whatever. Yeah, I, I, was, I was that cool kid. That's amazing. That, is, that, it? is it amazing? I've, well, the thing is, is that you're now a professional juggler. Yeah. And like, so you basically learned those skills. Like, you, you've you been. Learned at like, school. Yeah, at school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would have been a waste of school if I didn't become a professional juggler. <laughs> yeah. It would have been a shame. Well, in Cornwall, there's a Cornish Magical Society, uh, which is like the Magic Circle, but in Cornwall. And it's a, it's a group of people. And I joined the Junior Cornish Magical Society when I was around 10. And once a week, I'd go. Uh, and meet with like a room full of magicians and I'd get the chance to talk, to talk shop with these pros really. And it was quite good and every every year, uh, actually twice a year, we did a summer season, uh, a, summer, a summer show and a winter show where we would uh, hire out a village hall and there'd be a bunch of us kind of, prof- I mean, I say professionals, I, I was the only one who, who wasn't really. Um, a bunch of pros would do a show in a village hall and uh, they would let me be in it. 
which was quite good. So that is for me, like even though it was just a village hall, it was like showbiz at its best, in my opinion. It kind of had that dank village hall smell and your feet kind of stuck to the floor. And I was doing that from around the age of 11 and 12. It was perfect. Uh, so like, there was a bit of a, a giggle at the start when they said your age. And that's because you were the youngest oh, one Oh, by there. far the youngest. Yeah. I think the first one I did was around the age of 10. And that's when I performed Magic as well. I mean, I saw some footage of that not long ago. And that was, I mean, terrible to see. I was not good at Magic at all. Is this place haunted? No, this door is crap. Uh, so I normally <laughs> have to have a George Orwell's um, collection of oh, that's good. Books, uh, so there. Sorry, so uh, let's just where were we? Um, you. Would... I was the youngest in the group. So, w- which beach was this? Perrinport Beach, which is a great beach, by the way. Uh, you should you should go there if you haven't been. And it was the Cornish Magical Society that I joined around the age of ten, and that was I, I believe it was in Camborne, another place in Cornwall. Um, but the guy I met on the beach who was doing shows, the great budget, he was nothing to do with the Cornish Magical Society. But I met, like, around that time, I met quite a few characters who kind of shaped my career. There was the great budget who did the shows on the beach. There was the Cornish Magical Society. But there's a woman as well called Blossom the Clown. She used to do random workshops throughout the summer, just like on the, on the promenade or on the beach or whatever. And I would go along and do these circus skills workshops. She'd just have loads of equipment and just let it all, let the kids run free on it. And I used to go to these... And she was amazing. She like she was quite an old lady. She must have been in her fifties at the time. And uh, I mean, I su- she must have been older. She must have been in her sixties. She was still doing these little workshops. She'd wear a clown makeup and stuff. And uh, I uh, kind of got to know her really well. My mum and dad got to know her really well. And it got to the point where like uh, she lived on a farm. I'd go down to the farm and practice for the day, and she'd just teach me loads of stuff. And I remember once oh, I must have been, uh, you know, I must have been ten. Uh, like the oldest of 10. I might have been nine. I remember she said to me, John, do you want to learn how to juggle fire? And I was like, yeah, totally. Of course I want to learn how to juggle fire. <laughs> and she was like, look, well, I'm just going to call your mum. And she called up my mum and she said, hi, Denise, do you mind uh, if I teach your son how to juggle fire? I'll be really safe with it and everything. There'll be no problem. And my mum was like, yeah, fine, no problem. And she's just <laughs> fine with it. So then that, that afternoon, I was just juggling fire down on this farm. I was I was like lighting them up and, and you know running the paraffin out and then doing it again. I was a stank of paraffin, just like burning paraffin all day. It was brilliant, just with this old lady clown. This is an amazing <laughs> way of spending your like. It's great at ten years old juggling fire on a farm of an old clown's. You couldn't have not ended up being a juggler. No, <laughs> no and I mean that's not even all. The, so other people that shaped my career. There's a there's a guy called. Um, <laughs> it sounds the thing is it sounds like i'm making these up uh but there's a guy called wilbur the great he was a clown as well who he was more into magic and stuff and he he juggled a little bit but he, he used to do loads of magic and i must have been 14 must have been 14 and he was like john i've just retired i've got all this magic stuff that i don't want anymore and he just gave it to me there's like boxes <laughs> of this old magic stuff it's like sweet amazing and there's another company that I actually started working as a juggler. Like the first time I started getting paid was around the age of 11. Um, but I got approached by a company called Jungle Bungle Jugglers. And they lived in a caravan park called the Monkey Tree. And they were professional jugglers. And they used to go around all the holiday parks in Cornwall. And they would do circus skills workshops and shows. And they were like, John, do you want to work with us? I was like, yeah, um, yeah, I think so. And I remember they sat down in my parents' living room. They spoke with my parents and stuff. 
And the next thing I know, from the age of 11, I was a working man. Like, I was, <laughs> like, also, every weekend and school holidays, I would be doing shows at holiday parks and uh, doing circus skills workshops. I was juggling and getting paid from the age of 11, which was mad. Um, and that was down to Jungle Bungle Jugglers. Uh, I, I can never say Jungle Bungle Jugglers and not smirk. It's a ridiculous name. It's, it's an amazing name. Jungle Bungle Jugglers. Are Jungle Bungle Jugglers still around? No, they're not. Get, I don't know what happened to them. They they vanished. Like, I, I don't know where they are. Um, but yeah, it was down to you know Jungle Bungle, Wilbur the Great, Blossom the Clown, the Great Budget. And the Cornish Magical Society. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounds like a Harry Potter movie. Yeah, it's an, like <laughs> it seems like it's a shame that performing magicians have moved away from names like that. Like you just call yourself John Udry. Well, that wasn't the case back in the day. I have been John Udry since, uh, well, since I was born, but like professionally since around the age of like seventeen. But before that, I went by a variety of different names. Um, so when I started. I, I was obviously inspired by the great budget and I was kind of thinking, okay, well, I need to have a name similar to that because, you know, that's just what people do. And so I went with the great Alphonse. <laughs> so I was the great Alphonse for at least a year uh, because my uncle, my, my great uncle was called Alphonse and I just thought, oh, the great Alphonse is perfect. Um, so I soon steered clear of that. And then when I was working with Jungle Bungle, uh, the guy who was called Rick, he didn't like having lots of stuff in his pockets. And back then, you know, people had massive mobile phones and like huge keys and stuff for the van. And he just used to say, look, John, can you just put this in your stuff in your pockets? So I'd, in my pockets, I would have my stuff in my pockets plus his stuff in my pockets. So then he used to call me Johnny Pockets, which I hated. And I, there's still people out there who call me Johnny Pockets. And I hate it. I really hate it. Um, and it comes from that, that time. I was also, worked, also worked with a company called Swamp Circus. Uh, which I worked for, that was more the age of 16, 17. And the guy who runs that, Brett, he still calls me Pockets. And I'm 28 years old. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I went through the Johnny Pockets phase, phase a little bit, which I never really liked. So then I got, kind of got to the age, you know, when I was growing up around 15, 16, that I just thought, I'm just going to use my own name. And here I am. Who filmed this? It must have been my dad, my my mum and my dad. It's got that classic kind of like graininess to like an old VHS recorder. Yeah, yeah. I think it was actually filmed straight onto VHS as well because uh, well, I only got this digit digitalized uh, at Christmas time. I got all my parents' VHSs digit digitalized. Is that the right word? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got all the VHSs digitalized for all my family members and put them onto USB sticks. So this is where this came from. And which is the first time I've seen this. I mean, I, I only saw it recently, but for before that, I hadn't seen it for over ten years. Do you remember this day? No, I, I remember bits of it. I know a few other people who were who were on the bill, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember bits of it. Like I remember, we used to do. Um, we used to used to have to hand out leaflets in the street in the daytime, um, and we were told what to say. And so I think it was a. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but we, we had to just say it a hundred times. I could interest you in a leaflet for the show tonight at the at the Memorial Hall. Uh, like I'm just handing out leaflets. I remember we'd, we used to do that in the street and try and do tricks in the street to get people in. Um, I remember there was a few of the old timers who performed there as well. And we'd all sit backstage. And I remember there's like a nice table of snacks, which is great. We got paid in snacks, which at some gigs that you get paid for, you don't even have snacks. Yeah, it was a good time. I just remember, like, I went back to that stage, uh, 
probably about a year ago. This is the first time I've seen it in about 10 years. And it's tiny. But I remember back then feeling like it was, uh, I mean, it was to me, it was Vegas. And there's no like sound check or teching or anything, no checking the lights. It's just like, okay, there's one light in state on. And, and that was it. You couldn't alter anything. And it's quite kind of nice. It was kind of a, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was raw. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you see the video, it's, it, that's the last word you'd use to describe the act. What I quite like about watching that is that you look incredibly confident. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Like the just the fact that even when you dropped the balls, like you made it part of the show. Well, I don't. I think like. There's a lot of bad stuff that happened before that. I remember at least for the first uh, couple of years, I never used to, like smiling on stage was just a thing that I could never do. Uh, and I would finish an act and people would come and say, oh, that was great, but you know, you could maybe just try smiling. And I was just like, oh yeah, yeah, I thought I did. But I was just terrified, you know. You, you, for the first few times, like being up there is not fun. It's horrible. It's terrifying. You, you spend weeks and weeks and weeks trying to perfect an act. You go and do it in front of a group of people and you just can't, do any of it you know you're just too scared so i think there i'm at this i've probably got a few few acts under my belt this isn't even the first act i've ever done uh this is probably maybe the third routine i've made i remember the first one i did was to robbie williams let me entertain you classic track and yeah that one it was really like uh i mean i couldn't even look at the audience i couldn't uh, you know if i looked at the audience or tried to smile i'd just have a panic attack mm. i'd just freak out so yeah, I've kind of done it. I've done a few bad things before this one. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. From what it sounds like, your parents were like uber supportive of your juggling. Yeah, like super supportive. They'd, they'd drop me to workshops. They would um, like, it seems mad, but like they would just happily leave me at a, at a stranger's house juggling on an afternoon. Like with just a random man. And that was just totally fine when I was like 10 years old. And I mean, it was fine. Obviously, nothing's going to go wrong. But like, it feels like if that would happen today people it would kind of be frowned upon like you know i know i mean if my sister had left just dropped their kid off and you know or even said okay just go to a juggling convention for a week by yourself it would be kind of weird but for some reason it was just fine it was i think my parents kind of chatted to the people and they trusted them and that you know my parents have always been supportive of everything i've done um and yeah i think they just kind of trusted it you know i think when it came to doing it professionally as a job I uh, I did have a kind of backup plan, which failed. Uh, I was training to be an electrician. Um, and I did that for, it was a three-year apprenticeship. But I did that for a year and then I got sacked. I got sacked for taking a juggling gig. 
basically I got approached by a company in London uh, called Gandini Juggling, who I was just a huge, huge fan of and still am really. And I was, I think, 17. And they said, John, do you want to come to London and do a gig with us? But at the time I was working on this electrical apprenticeship and I, I was entitled to time off, but I asked my boss for it and he said no. So then I kind of had this conundrum, like, what do I do? And I had spoke to my parents about it and they said, look, just call his bluff. Just go to London anyway and uh, see what happens. So I said to my boss, you know, what, what, what happens if I go? And he said, well, I'm going to sack you. So I did what my parents said and called his bluff, went to London, did the gig, came back and he sacked me. So oh, yeah, no. he totally just sacked me. So then I just said to my parents, look, my electrical apprenticeship was a backup. So why don't I just try and be a juggler for a year? And if that doesn't work, I'll go back and I'll finish my apprenticeship. At least then I've got a solid backup. So they're like, fine, do your thing. Which is great, really, that they could just support that. And yeah, I just, I just packed up and just moved to London and just tried to be a juggler. And it, yeah, I mean, it was tough, but it, it worked out, obviously, because I'm here chatting to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how long did you live in London because you now live in Bristol I live in Bristol now I did live in London for seven years I think the age of 18 to oh, 25 that's seven isn't it no that's not eight years I lived in London then I moved yeah. there when I was 18 and I moved to Bristol when I was 26 yeah eight years in London which is like seven years too many in my <laughs> opinion it's just a hectic place and were you with that same juggling group the whole time I did bits with them. I did quite a few shows with them. Um, but like with, because a lot of people work for the company, Gandini Juggling, you can't really rely on your money um, coming in just through them because they've got lots of different projects on. So it started off, I did, most of my work was through them. And then I kind of started to do more shows by myself. I did street shows. And then I started to get a feel for what I wanted to do. Still just trying to find myself, uh, you know, and um, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, you know, in a sense, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, I'm doing lots of solo shows now, but uh, I'm still trying to figure out what kind of show, solo shows I want to do. But yeah, with Gandini, I worked with them. It, it would vary. Sometimes I'd do like two months of stuff that's purely with them, and then I'd do some shows by myself. It would vary quite a lot. And, and that's kind of what I enjoy about this job is that like, it's different all the time. You know, one week you could be in a show with 20 people. The next week you could be downstairs of a pub somewhere the next week on a cruise ship in the caribbean i love the fact that it changes all the time because i've got a really short attention span at the time when this video was made you obviously you were juggling like loads mm-hmm. like were you doing anything else like in your free time or was were you super focused on this yeah well i juggled um a lot like i used to come from school and just juggle uh, but i also used to skateboard um i played the drums uh I also did judo as well. My dad was a judo coach, so I did quite a bit of judo at the time. I was always a fan of doing stuff. We never had computer games in the household. They just weren't allowed. And for me, it was the best thing my parents could ever do. Because the rule was, if it's not raining, you just had to be outside. That was kind of like what we had to do. You couldn't watch TV in the daytime if it wasn't raining. TV was a thing that just happened when it was raining. You couldn't watch TV if it wasn't raining. Uh, So we just had to do stuff. And we just played. I had brothers, and we just... uh, me and my brothers just played with stuff. You know, we'd play with Diablos, we'd go skateboarding, we'd just, you know, do stupid stuff. Water fights. It was brilliant. Like, if, I feel like if I got into computer games, I feel like I've got quite an addictive personality. And computer games is a thing that I feel like if I went down that road, that would kind of be my life. And so, yeah, for me, that's why I just can't really get into that because I'm, I'm more of a doer, like an outsidey kind of physical doer. 
were there any other people that, like your age that you were juggling with? Yeah. So my neighbours and my brother did the Diablo, and my neighbours also juggled a little bit. The fr- There's a friend of my neighbour called Rupert, and Rupert was quite a good juggler. Like me and him did a double act um, at one point where we'd dress up as um, peasants in Hessian sacks and tights. I think I was 12. He must have been like 16. And uh, we used to call ourselves the Flying Buttresses. <laughs> and we just did this kind of street show act as these like peasants, which is quite a fun, you know, uh, fun to work with someone. But he, he doesn't juggle at all anymore. He still uses the name, the Flying Buttresses, but he's got these amazing puppets now. Like He makes amazing puppets and he does like walkabout characters in these puppets. Like You, you might have even seen them at festivals and stuff. They're two uh, like, like travelers, Hodman Dol... No, Hodman, Dodmanot, and Sally Forth are their names. Yeah, the Flying Buttresses. They're really good. So yeah, I juggled with him quite a bit. And then when I was in school, a couple of friends kind of got into juggling a little bit as well. Uh, Andy Hoskin and Chris Wicketts, uh, they juggled a bit. But no one had the uh, obsession and, and addiction as much as I did. Like I was kind of hooked. I couldn't not do it. And still to this day, if I don't juggle for a couple of days, I get really itchy mm. like and antsy. I, I kind of need to do it. For me, it's like, it's what I do to relax. Like some people have yoga, some people I don't know, do crack. For me, it's juggling. Like I need to go away, have an hour or two a day, and then I feel normal again. Because if I don't have it, I just feel a bit mental. You so say it's like a way of relaxing. Yeah, and like I don't want anyone else involved. I put my headphones on. I don't want anyone, I don't want anyone to talk to me in, that, in those hours. I just go to a place, I, I practice at a gym, which I'm not going to say where it is in case anyone goes. And uh, it's great. I love it. I practice uh, in, in a studio, at a gym, and I go there and the headphones on. I practice for a few hours. I go into my own little world and I come out feeling normal again. It's great. But it's a thing that I can't, I really struggle to not do it now. I mean, I've done it for, I've kind of done that uh, rhythm of practicing most days for the past 22 years. I can't all of a sudden stop doing it and it feels normal at, at, at christmas i try and stop i give myself a couple of weeks where i don't do any practice um over christmas usually from like christmas eve to new year's day or whatever uh and it's healthy for me but i do struggle with it like i do feel like i need to do something but i, I purposefully try and take that time off just because i think it's i think it's probably good for my brain but even though it's a struggle that's well. I, I suppose it's good to be addicted to something which yeah. is like what well, one not bad for anyone involved. No, <laughs> uh, and yeah. like basically pays your bills. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm addicted to my job, which is sick. Really, it's the dream. Yeah, it's the dream. Um. So you say you were juggling at school. So you would also juggle on the school playground. Yeah, at lunchtime, tuck time. I'd go out and uh, do a little bit of practice. Yeah, the thing is, like looking back at that, I feel like at the time I feel like I had lots of friends, but that was a thing that I'd definitely just do by myself. But I didn't feel like I was a lonely kid, even though when I say, "Oh, you know, at school I just used to practice in the playground," to me it was like, "Well, I mean, that's the thing I want to do. I've still got friends, but they want to play football, and I don't want to do that, so I'm gonna juggle instead." I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. I was doing the exact thing I wanted to do. They were doing the exact thing they wanted to do. And then we'd meet up later for maths. Like, it, it didn't feel like I was a lonely kid. But, like, looking back on it, I was alone a lot. But I, didn't, I never felt lonely. I never felt like... I mean, I, I like having friends, but I also like doing juggling. 
mainly maybe because it's a thing that is by myself. I don't know. Surely people like watched you. But the thing is, they probably watched they probably watched me do stuff for a day or two, and then the novelty's worn off. Because like when I practice, I don't perform. Like the difference between me being on stage and me practicing, they're two completely different people. Like the guy on stage is there trying to impress people. The guy practicing doesn't want people to watch. So I'll almost turn my back on them and do stuff. Like, you know, I'll just practice stuff with one ball, stuff that's not... Because watching someone practice isn't an interesting thing to watch, really. I, I seem to remember people watching a little bit, but then after you've seen me practice for a couple of times, you, you just want to go and play football. Yeah, I can see that. The novelty yeah. wears off. Yeah, they'll just be like, oh, that's where John does his juggling over there. And they just, I'm just part of the furniture then, which is perfect. What was the main things which were, like, giving you, say, anxiety watching this video? I don't know, like... <sighs> It's just trying to find yourself, isn't it, on stage? Like I think, like someone said to me once that um, about street shows, that the first hundred street shows don't count. And someone said it again about like open mic nights, that the first hundred gigs you do don't count because you're just trying to figure out what you do. And I think this was at the point where I probably haven't done a hundred shows at this point, but I've definitely done, I've definitely done thirty shows at this point, I reckon. And it's kind of just looking back and being like, what, what is he trying to? do what is he trying to achieve like he's nodding at the audience in like weird little poses <laughs> and i did i didn't really understand like looking at it i don't, i mean i can i see what i was going going for because i was going for juggling convention videos from the 1980s but this was the year 2000 but i wasn't aware that that was weird and probably the people in the audience weren't aware that it was weird either but to me it seems more dated than it should be that's just down to my sources really what made you basically become a modern juggler uh, as opposed to a little boy trying to be a 1980s juggler well i i thought juggling up until the age of around 16 i thought juggling was waistcoats and bow ties and uh, smart trousers and jackets and maybe top hats and big band music maybe classical music that's what i thought juggling was which in a sense didn't really interest me. I mean, I like jazz music, but all the other stuff, that's not how people dress. People don't wear sparkly waistcoats out and about. So I didn't really get it. Like, I didn't, it didn't, I didn't see the people on stage and think, oh, I want to do that. It just didn't appeal to me. And then I saw a juggler, um, yeah, I must have been around the age of 16, called Jay Gilligan, who, I mean, he's amazing and he's, he's my total idol. And he kind of changed my life when it came to juggling. He used to go on stage and he'd play music like the Smashing Pumpkins or, you know, like like Dave Matthews Band or like lots of music that I liked. He would play kind of rock music and he'd go out with jeans and a t-shirt and he just did these juggling routines to music that was relevant. And like he wore clothes that people wear as opposed to just people in 1980s juggling videos. And so it was him and a guy called Sean McKinney who were just... Amazing American jugglers who, I mean, they're still my favorite jugglers. Sean McKinney sadly isn't with us anymore. But like Sean McKinney entered a, um, the, the IJA is the International Jugglers Association. And in America, they have these big competitions where you go on, you've got your waistcoats and your bow ties and you do a little routine and like to, usually to big band music. And then you get judged by some panels and stuff. Some people on the panel. And Sean McKinney went there um with ripped jeans and a t-shirt. And he's like, oh, I want to do a routine. And he was an amazing juggler. He had a great routine. And they were just like, no, you, you can't do it. You can't do it because you've got rips in your jeans. 
And he was like, no, but this is my costume. I've chose this for a reason. And they're like, no, you can't do it. So then he goes away, buys some jeans that don't have rips in, comes back, does the competition, wins. Of course, of course. And it was just a, at that point, it was amazing where to see that shift in everyone's doing a different routine in their school trousers and sparkly waistcoats and top hats. And all of a sudden, some guy comes along. He comes on stage on a skateboard <laughs> wow. with, with jeans and a T-shirt and uh, just rocks out for like seven minutes of the best stuff you've ever seen. And it was just amazing, like baggy T-shirt, baggy jeans, scruffy hair. It's brilliant. So it was at that point that kind of juggling changed for me. And I just kind of thought that there's no rules. You can do whatever you like. So then around that time, I started using uh, tracks for routines that I just liked. So I'd use Pearl Jam or Audio Slave or just bands that I enjoyed. I'll just use their tracks. And it was great, but it was hugely inspired by Sean McKinney and Jay Gilligan, really. Like without, without that shift in juggling, I probably either wouldn't be doing it as a profession or I would, uh, be you know in top hats and tails and sparkly <laughs> sparkly glittery whatever like now as a principal i have no glitter or anything shiny in any of my shows some people still use like shiny clubs because when you when they spin it looks like they go quicker or like you know glittery <laughs> glittery rings or like top hats and stuff and purposefully in my show i don't i've got a no glitter policy nothing that shines I don't know if this is secrets now, but what, what are some of your other policies? So other policies, I don't do anything dangerous. I feel like the whole juggling of fake knives and chainsaws and uh, fire torches, that's been done to death, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So I don't do anything dangerous. And I don't go on a big high bike, a uh, big high unicycle, because that, again, has been done to death. And I also don't do anything that glows in the dark, because I think it's just been done a lot. So when I made my show, I just said to myself, okay, I'm going to have no sparkles. I'm not going to have any dangerous props. I'm not going to do anything high like a unicycle or a, or a bike. And I'm not going to do anything with LED props. Um, just because I think it's been done too much. And if you give yourself those restrictions, then it forces you to try and make something else. And if the something else is rubbish, that's better than it being the same as everyone else, I think. I'd prefer to do something that's different and less good than the same and really good. It doesn't interest me. Like I'd prefer, I'd prefer to be an accountant. No offense to any accountants out there. I'd prefer to be an accountant than to be the juggler that just does the same material as everyone else does. Doing the same material as everyone else, it wouldn't interest me at all. I'd prefer to just be an accountant, which I'm sure is a lovely job for the right person. So, if you could go back to this day yeah. um, and speak to yourself just mm-hmm. before you walked onto that stage, like what would you? tell yourself i tell myself if you're going to go do a show you have to have fun because people don't want to watch someone not have fun so i would say take your stupid bow tie off untuck your shirt you know and put some music on that you actually like and just go out and have fun because you could go out and have fun and like do some fun juggling to good music that you like and people will enjoy it because people enjoy watching people enjoy themselves so if I'm out there having fun, then it can't go wrong. Even if I drop my tricks, it doesn't matter because I'm enjoying it. So that's what I'd say to myself. And at the end of the day, I'd say to myself, it's only juggling. It doesn't matter. Really. Like in my show, I've got a 45-minute show. I, I still drop in it all the time. It doesn't matter. It's fine. No one's died. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. It's only juggling. It's not important. Uh, amazing john um how do you feel now that the world is aware of this video 
Uh, I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders, and it's thanks to you. It's <laughs> <laughs> like therapy. Um, amazing. Thank you so much uh, for coming on to the podcast. If um, people wanted to see you perform, um, how could they find out? You could follow me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. My name is John Udry, and there's no H in the John, and Udry is spelt u-d-r-y so that all of that's on facebook and twitter and instagram and my website is just my name.com johnudry.com so all this all the dates and stuff are there and updates are all on twitter and all the social media stuff which i'm desperately trying to keep track of and um on john's website there are much better videos of john juggling uh yes. these days yes Amazing. Thank you so much, John. Great. So if you enjoyed uh, listening to the podcast, then please do give it a review on iTunes or whatever podcasting app you use. It makes a huge difference to how many people um, like yourself who discover it. And um, also, you know, tell your friends if you enjoyed this, tell your friend to give it a download. If you go onto Facebook and find I'd Sooner Forget This or go onto Twitter and search I'd Sooner Forget, you'll be able to see the video that we watched today and come back next week for another fabulous guest. Thank you. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.